Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast, the show designed for men who are ready to rethink the role of alcohol in their lives. Get ready to hear some awesome coaching insights, powerful tools, captivating interviews and first-hand experiences, all dedicated to helping you rethink your relationship with alcohol for good. I'm your host, Patrick Fox. Let's go. Hi guys, and welcome to episode number 130 of the Alcohol Breathing Podcast. How you doing, fellas? Good to be back. And today I'm super excited. I've got a guest on with me today. His name is Sam. He lives over in the other side of the planet to where I am, at least in Melbourne, Australia. He was working with me over the last year and I reached out to him and asked if he'd love to come on the podcast and share his journey because I just think there's so many things from it you're going to love to hear. So Sam, welcome to the show, dude. Thanks, Patrick. It's awesome to be here, mate. Yeah, wicked, mate. Yeah, and I really appreciate you coming on, man. Like, um, yeah, I know because it's it's a vulnerable thing, isn't it, to be able to talk about something like this, well, certainly in the beginning, at least anyway. For sure, for sure. And I was feeling pretty nervous coming on. But, you know, I guess it's all just part of the journey is also, you know, sharing my journey. So I don't know, hopefully a few guys out there can kind of relate to it, you know, stigmas, stopping drinking and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I'm just another bloke that's kind of been through, I don't know, the process and come out the other side. So happy to share my story with you. Yeah, I appreciate it, dude. All right, Wicked. Well, let's just dive in. So we're, I'm just going to ask you a few questions about your experience, man, and then we can just see where it all takes us. Awesome. Nice. So before you reached out to me, before we started working together, what was life like for you, man? Like, what were you doing? Yeah, well, I guess I'll just give you a bit of like a backstory to where kind of my drinking started. And I guess, you know, um, yeah, yeah. so uh, drinking was kind of, it's just always been a big, you know, a big part of growing up in our culture and, you know, becoming an adult and all those kind of things. So I guess in our culture, it was, it was just super normalized. Um, it was just kind of part of what we did. Um, it was just that all in kind of excessive drinking where I guess you just like drank till you kind of passed out and, you know, some points like threw up and I <laughs> just kind of yeah. celebrated to that extent, just like glamorized. Um, but I think just like most young people, I was pretty naive about it growing up and, you know, making mistakes and learning new things about life. So, you know, at the start, it's all just like a big adventure, um, you know, going to festivals, house parties socializing playing gigs it's just kind of part of what we did um so if you fast forward to like my 20s i could see that um i don't know i was drinking a lot and it didn't but it didn't really seem too problematic in the culture that i was living in um i was surrounded by people who also drank you know just as much as me um but i guess drinking it just kind of slowly became part of who i was in my everyday and you know, at that point, I just kind of saw myself as, you know, an Aussie bloke that was just kind of living on the edge and didn't really take life too seriously. But, um, as you know, it just became my normal. So that was kind of, you know, just getting pissed with mates all weekend and then, you know, knocking off, knocking off after work and having a few beers then. And it was kind of just this like work hard, play hard attitude. And yeah. I guess this lifestyle's, you know, it's pretty taxing and, you know, it slowly starts to kind of creep in. It caused a few issues in like different parts of my life. But, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you kind of, I don't know, sometimes you can be a little bit naive and in, you know, realizing what's going on and how much of an issue it can become. 
can I, um, I just wanted to add something there, dude, as well. Yeah. And, and just thanks for sharing. And because it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to kind of comprehend how much of a challenge it might really be when you're looking around and everybody else is doing the same fucking thing. And the thing is, like, it looks like everyone's doing the same thing and it looks like everyone else is still having fun. And so we kind of, use, our brain's like, well, you know, it's not a problem and maybe it's not as bad as I think it is and stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. It comes back to the idea of normal as well. You know, you just yeah. see it as normal because every, everyone else is doing it around you. And I think that, you know, one massive thing that I've learned over this is just try and change your normal. And that's what I've done. My new normal is something completely different to that. But at that point, that was normal. That was just how my life was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, sorry. So, like, you, you, so you started kind of recognizing that, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. all is not what it seems. <laughs> that's right. But in 2020, uh, we bought our first house probably like two hours away from where we grew up. And, um, you know, I was pretty keen for change because by that point, it was getting pretty excessive. Uh, the lifestyle I was living was pretty excessive, drinking a lot. Um, and I was just on this roller coaster of just, you know, drinking, being hungover, you know, recovering with a few beers and then repeating like it was just that kind of cycle that you get stuck in. So. The day that we got our keys to our new place was kind of the day we went into that super hard lockdown in Melbourne. Um, so we ended up being pretty much the, I think we were the most lockdown city in the world. So it was super yeah. hard lockdown. And, you know, just moving away, I was two hours away from family and mates and things like that. So it was just really hard to kind of like establish new connections and, you know, all those different things. So it's pretty much impossible to, you know, make new connections when you can't leave the house. Um, so slowly I just kind of found myself drinking more out of like boredom and isolation. Um, so being, a, being away from people, I just suddenly found myself becoming like a little more anxious and unsure of like how I fit it in. Um, so every time I catch up with mates, I just kind of get, you know, pretty shit faced and I was just kind of getting sick of the person that I was projecting out there into the world. Cause I knew that it wasn't the best version of me, you know, cause at that point, it was all illegal to kind of catch up with mates. You know, you'd do the dodgy, you'd sneak past the police checkpoints and then catch up with mates and you'd get really pissed. And, you know, then you'd go home and like you wouldn't see those people again for a long time. You couldn't really just catch up with them. So I just started feeling like I was kind of losing myself and started feeling those feelings of like shame, guilt and judgment over like kind of who I was projecting out there, like into the world and stuff. It just I just wasn't happy with the person I was. And then so alcohol just kind of slowly started becoming like a band-aid for like so many different problems. And but it all it was also just creating so many more. So it was just like that vicious cycle of using the thing that was kind of causing the problem. Yeah, it was pretty so my self-worth just took like such a big hit during that time. And I think I just started drinking to kind of like numb out. Um, and this is where I really kind of noticed that I was starting to use alcohol as like a tool to kind of deal with these emotions and, you know, how I was feeling. Um, so I heard a saying that kind of, it kind of sums up pretty well how I was using alcohol in the end of, you know, coming out of COVID and things like that, um, that if the only tool that you have is a hammer, then it's really kind of tempting to treat everything as if it was a nail. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Every problem yeah. or emotion that I was having, my only tool was becoming alcohol. So like, Lockdown was this really strange thing that kind of put into like hyper focus and really exaggerated how poorly I'd learnt and being conditioned, I guess, to a point to kind of deal with these tricky and uncomfortable feelings or situations. And 
Yeah, I was just using alcohol as that hammer and, you know, dealing with his emotions of, you know, isolation and loneliness and, you know, all of the other emotions that come with such a, oh, such a strange, strange time in human existence, really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting turn of phrase as well, isn't it? Like that it was dealing with them. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because like, it, it's not really dealing with them in a sense, right? Because it's just escaping them. That's a hundred percent right. You're never dealing with those emotions. You just, it's that bandaid fix and that the bandaid is not going to heal a wound. It's just going to cover it up. And then, you know, that's kind of it. It's, it's a pretty toxic tool to keep using. And then those things just kind of build up and up and up and, and you can kind of see it even, you know, outside of COVID and things like that, just in daily life, when we see yeah. um, just, you know, you'll have a, a shitty day at work or something like that and you'll come home and it's just, you try and distract yourself from it, whether it's like scrolling social media or grabbing a beer out of the fridge and you just distract yourself from those ideas and I, oh, like those things that are happening. And I think that that makes, um, I guess, Friday beers seem so much more attractive a lot of the time because it is that point where you can all of a sudden just let go of all of this stuff that you've been kind of bottling up all week. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that, you know, a lot of blokes kind of get stuck in that cycle of not really dealing with their emotions and then kind of getting to a Friday you know, letting it all go. And then they're still there though. And they kind of come out in different ways with anger and things like that. And that's, it's a pretty toxic way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. And so what had been, so you kind of, you recognize this, right? You weren't happy with it. You felt like it's, it's almost that idea of like wearing a mask, right? Like you were being someone else to everyone else, but not who you wanted to be for yourself. And then you recognize, Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, sorry, you go. <laughs> All right. And so you recognize you're projecting, you're recognizing like you're drinking to deal with shit, but it wasn't really dealing with anything. So like what happened next, right? Like how did you, what did you start trying to do in, in an attempt to resolve that? Yeah. Well, I kind of, you know, we came out of lockdown and I think that these... It was this thing on the horizon with coming out of lockdown. I just thought that it would kind of solve all of these issues. I thought that I'd come out and just be this, oh yeah, we're back to normal. How good's that? That was fun. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. I came <laughs> out of it and I just felt like I was just really kind of starting to isolate myself because, you know, it's just how alcohol alcohol works. You just start becoming a little more anxious and like I was feeling like, you know, as I mentioned before, like I wasn't projecting the best version of me. So I was kind of a little bit unsure of who I was and how I fitted in. So all of these different things just kind of perpetuated to the point where I just knew that I wanted change. You know what I mean? I knew that I didn't want to do this anymore and something was not right with what was going on. So I just didn't have the tools to kind of deal with it. And at this point, like, I guess I try and moderate and, you know, set all these different rules like drinking middies and, you know, buying single cans instead of a sixy and, but in the end, I was just getting like the same results and it kind of started making me feel a little bit more kind of out of control because you set, all, so you set up all of these little rules and they're just not working and you're never, you're never achieving them. You know, you'll buy, you'll buy a couple of cans, like I've got a, an hour and 15 minute drive home and I drive past, you know, 10 bottles on the way home and I'd buy two cans at the first one, you know, in the end and then I'd finish them and then, of course all the logical sense goes out the window and you'll stop at the next one. You'll grab three more. And then, you know, you've just spent twice as much money as you would having a six pack. You just, you do all these crazy things to try and I guess control your drinking, but it just doesn't work in the end. So at this point, my wife started seeing a naturopath 
and um and really wanted me to kind of start taking my health seriously because you know we're about to get married and really kind of sorting our lives out and looking at like you know possibly starting a family and things like that I could just see that she was kind of getting pretty sick of it all and and she could really see that I was struggling as well so I had a general health checkup and I, I can't remember what point it was but Anyway, my the my liver numbers were just off the charts. Like I think I got pretty pissed the night before, which definitely didn't help. But um, they should be around they should be around fifty or something like that. And they were up, they were well into like the two hundreds. And it was kind of like the doctor pretty much said like you've just got to make some life changes. And it was the first time that I actually kind of thought, you know, holy shit, like this is this is real. Like this stuff is having a massive impact on my mm. overall health. And I think. I was kind of at this point, I was like, it was funny. I was more scared of the doctor saying that I had to stop drinking rather than the impact that I had on my body. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. you know, I was just shit scared of it. Um, so, you know, at no point at this point, at no point was I ever going to ask for help. You know, my ego was getting in the way and I'd never asked for help with anything before. And I just thought that I could deal with it by myself. Like, and I think this is like a toxic I guess, um, I don't know if it's conditioning or like the way that I've learned to deal with things, but you know, my old man passed away when I was pretty young and I just never really dealt with those things. So I just had this really kind of bad cycle of thinking that I would be able to kind of deal with absolutely everything. So of course I didn't ask for help. I just, you know, started looking around and trying to find different ways for me to control the situation. So, you know, I went in that cycle of just, starting to listen to a few podcasts and just like re- religiously Googling, you know, how to stop drinking and cure your liver. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then, um, so oh, and then I downloaded that. So, uh, look, can I ask a question about that? So like you were, yeah. you were like listening to podcasts, you were Googling stuff, but like what, how was your brain kind of filtering what you were reading? Like, did you like the answers? Did you like the, Oh no. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> nah, nah, definitely not. so what were you like really looking for when you were doing it do you think um any evidence that said i could keep drinking moderately or that i could change and you know everything could go back to normal you know what i mean but obviously yeah. every single thing that i was reading was just saying that although the liver is an amazing thing and it can heal um it's not a magic organ that just you know you can sprinkle some fairy dust on it, it'll be absolutely fine it's you can do some, you know, you do serious damage to your liver when you're drinking, you know, to excess. And I think that that was, it was a real turning point because I was like, it was all kind of fun and games until that point health-wise. Like I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't happy with how I was drinking, but this is where it really kind of, you know, hit a turning point with how, you know, I guess nervous I was around it. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I downloaded that Reframe app um and it worked really well it was just it was a really good start but again it was just me trying to fix the problem by myself which is just i think that when when you're going to coaching i think that one of the best things is about it is that you're giving yourself the tools and although you know these apps are absolutely amazing to kind of get some groundwork in but you can't see your own thinking properly through them. You can go through and you can learn all of the information, but it's kind of the thought processes in understanding why we drink that are really, really tricky with by yourself because in the end it is, it's you and your head and your head's the one 
that can be so critical and so driven by shame and guilt and all of these kind of thought patterns that they're really, really hard to see by yourself at the start. Um, so at some point I stumbled across this podcast and I think the first episode I listened to was the, the one called the fuck it button. And oh, yeah, I just nice. remember, I just <laughs> remember thinking, holy shit, like it really resonated with me and just the more I listened to it, the more that it was just like this stepping stone to this whole kind of world that wasn't really filled with like blame and shame and like all of this stuff. And I think I I read William Porter's book, Alcohol Explained. And, you know, that really just blew my mind that it wasn't, there wasn't anything wrong with me. It was just kind of, I guess, the conditioning and the actual drug and what it can do to you over time. And like, I think that that's where, because I think that there's so much, um, I guess, when you look at it and you haven't really kind of, I guess, delved into the sober world and the world of all of these different resources and, you know, way of thinking and mindset that it kind of feels like, you know, you either go to rehab and admit you have a problem and call yourself an alcoholic for the rest of your life or you deal with it by yourself. I think that there's like two extremes and it's there's just there's so many different ways that you can deal with this. Do you know what I mean? And you don't have to be at that point where you've hit rock bottom and you're at the absolute bottom and yeah. And yeah, cause I think that that's such a, a stigma around this whole process is that uh, I guess you have to be as bad to go and seek help, but wherever you are in the drinking curve, like if you're finding issues with it, it's okay to like reach out for help in a different way. And I think that, yeah, I think that that's what, this podcast showed me that it wasn't it wasn't my fault you know what i mean it yeah. was a whole bunch of other stuff and that was so powerful um it's it's just such a massive fucking part mate and it was the same for me as well and i, I got this image right like it's it's for when you're drinking it's like having a giant foot on top of you right and it's like pinning you to the floor but at the moment you realize like the alcohol the reason you're drinking as much isn't just because of you it's because of alcohol and all those other factors it's like that foot is removed and all of a sudden it's like oh i can go in some different directions here like i'm not being pinned down by my own guilt shame and blame anymore yeah it's that awareness it's that awareness that around not feeling completely out of control with it and you slowly start to kind of understand little bits about it and you know all of these light bulbs start going off and you're kind of like oh wow like I guess that's this happens and then that happens. And then, you know, when you have this much that happens and that's why you're hung over and, you know, all of these little yeah, things yeah. start to really kind of line up. And I just, yeah, really cool. And so you started listening to the podcast. Yeah. I love that you started with the fuck it button. <laughs> that was a fun episode. And, and so like what happened for you then? Like what was that journey in reaching out to me? Yeah, well, I was feeling great and I was like, you know, all the confidence in the world. I was like, here we go. I can do this all by myself. My ego was you know, very happy with itself. But first trip overseas to Bali, we, um, yeah, went there for the first trip after COVID. And, you know, it started and I just like, as soon as I got on the plane, I just thought that I deserved a break and I thought I could handle it. And like, as soon as I got off that plane, yeah i was like oh, those two God. thoughts straight away man like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it comes trouble yeah i was oh fuck it i deserve it here we go let's do it and you know looking back i was just focusing on the wrong reasons to stop like i felt like i you know 
I had to stop rather than, you know, generally, gen, genuinely wanting to. So, you know, the classic story a few days back, I was just straight back into the exact same habits that I had before. Like I was just getting pissed most nights. I was surfing really hungover, you know, feeling rubbish and life was back to kind of being dictated by beers. And by the end of the trip, me and my wife are not really getting along. You know, she was pretty pissed off because I was just straight back to old habits and, you know, she could see how much positive change that I'd made. And then all of a sudden it was just back to these really toxic habits. And, you know, that was pretty tough. So I got home and, you know, for the next two months, I was just on and off. Um, I'd go really good for a couple of weeks and then back into bad habits. And, you know, by this time I was kind of learning and listening and still kind of immersing myself in this, you know, sober world and this alcohol free world. But the awareness around it almost made it harder. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that sometimes, you know, I I could, I was listening to all of this stuff and it was like, but I just keep going back to drinking. And it was, I started really beating myself up because at this point I was like, you idiot. Like, you know exactly what this is doing to you, but I just couldn't quite get to that point where I could control it. So, you know, this really self-critical mindset and beating myself up to uh, up over it and, I mentioned this, you know, in one of our coaching sessions that, you know, towards the end and I was reading over some of the journaling that I'd done in this time and it was just so angry and self-critical and, you know, there were points where I wrote, there was one page, it was just like day one written over and over again. I reckon there were like 10 day one entries and they were just so like, oh, you idiot. Like why, you know, you've done it again. You can't do it. Like tomorrow I'm going to do it. And then, you know, two days later, there'd be another entry that would say day one and the same kind of just shameful, really angry toxic kind of cycle that was just coming across but yeah so i think at one point or another i'd I'd ended up listening to pretty much every one of your episodes (laughs) and i just i just thought fuck it i need a circuit breaker i need something to like reset me back to that point that i was at before bali and you know just run with it so for a couple of months it was quite funny like i'd go onto your site and I'd book in, a, I'd try and book in a consultation and I'd get to the page and I'd like click on it and I'd fill in a few details and I'd get out of it. I'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, I'd go back on and I'd do and, you know, I kept doing that. And then finally, finally, I um, booked one in. And then a few weeks, I don't know, a few weeks before we like set it up for like a month and booked it in. And then I was just filled with fear and anxiety about actually talking to someone and admitting that I, that I was struggling with this stuff that mm. I think I emailed you at some point and made up an excuse to cancel the appointment. So apologies about that, but um, I eventually rescheduled it. And, and then I, I was thinking, you know, if I don't show up to this one, like he's just kind of like block my email and, you know, I'll never be able to, I'll never get the chance to do it again. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're doing it. We're locking it in. So yeah. Yeah. And so can we like speak for a minute, like what some of those fears and doubts were, right? Because what yeah. like what was happening for you to just want to be so avoidant? Because it's it's really common, man. Like in myself, in like most of the guys I speak with, right? Like, what was it that was kind of wanting you to just you like? There's part of you wanted it clearly, right? Because you were you were going on there and you were hovering over that button. But then there was another part that was like, oh, I can't do that right now. So, mm. like, what was it? Do you think coming up for you? It was um a fear like. It's almost admitting defeat. Do you know what I mean? I, and it's your ego coming up. It was my ego coming up being like this. This is where you can say you, that you need to ask for help. And this is where you're admitting that you can't do it by yourself. So mm. 
I think that in a way I was trying to prove to myself that I could change on my own and, you know, I'm strong and I could do this and all those things the ego brings up and, and I feel, you know, there's a lot of shame around it because well, for in the, and there shouldn't be, but like, I feel like, as we mentioned before, the alcohol is just one of these things that it feels like everyone else out there has a hand a lot. So I think that like booking these things in and, and the, the reluctance to kind of do this was, I guess that the idea that I was different to absolutely everyone else that seems to be able to go out there and have a drink. And, you know, that stigma, you know, it scared the crap out of me. Like, yeah, it's pretty daunting committing to a process where, you know, you've got no, like a lot of the time we don't have anyone else around us to kind of model it off. And I think that a massive part of the journey was kind of redefining the language around stopping drinking and what it means and all of these different things. Like, you know, in the start, like some of the reluctance, for example, like going sober, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to put on a cape and go into a bar and, you know, walk around with a sign saying I'm not drinking. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this big thing. You can just not drink and that's absolutely fine. You know, even things like meditating and mindfulness, like these stigmas that I had around that you have to sit there and think about absolutely nothing or, I don't know, line some crystals up on a table and open your third eye. Like it doesn't have to be like that. It's just finding time with yourself and things like that. It's, it's all of these stigmas. And I think that such a big part of this journey is letting go of those stigmas and redefining that mindset of what it means to not drink. And I think that that was such a big fear when, you know, clicking off those pages and filling in all the details and then backing out at the last minute. Yeah. That's such a good point, man. And, you know, like getting, being radically honest with yourself about why you want this change. And, and, you know, when we, like when we make changes from fear, which is essentially where it was coming from originally, right? Like then, yeah, you could get some limited success with it, but like you, it's always going to be driven by fear. It's always not going to feel that great. And there's always going to be that part, that element of like, is this really what I want? Versus like growth, right? Like changing from growth, like wanting to change and recognizing all of the positive things that is going to come as a result. And like those things, they're not always obvious at first, right? And that's all part of the journey about going out and showing yourself. Mm. And also, like when you're there, right, and you're wanting to book that call, like for me, what comes up is like change is coming. Like your brain knows change is <laughs> coming, and like by hitting that button. <laughs> It's almost like that's you holding yourself to account, right? And doing something about it, even though that ego is like rearing up and not happy because he's got all these judgments about it. Yeah. And and you saying that, it just reminds me of like, you know, the, another massive fear is it's a funny one, but like a fear that it's actually going to work. Um, yeah. I think that that's a, that's a massive one because I think, I think more specifically, it's like the fear of change and letting go of such a big part of my identity. Like, I think that I identified with drinking so much. It was so integral to who I was. Like everything just revolved around it, that it's a really like daunting idea to, to, to kind of a scary process to jump in and really kind of rattle your own cage to the point of change. You know what I mean? To, to really pull it apart and be like, you're standing there being like, well, I'm stripping this one thing that I use to, as my hammer to kind of smash every problem that I have. Like, what do I do now? Like, what does it look like? And it's that real fear of that it would actually work. What does my life look like without it? Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. That's definitely like fear of success, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. So what were 
some of the doubts or or concerns you had in yourself like how how did you see yourself going into this coaching yeah well i think um yeah one of the hardest things when you're trying to change is kind of how hard you can be on like beating yourself up when you're trying to change Mm. and like you know when it's not going as quickly or you know exactly as you planned it's like you end up in like a little bit of a cycle of shame where you're almost like believing that you can't change and i think that you know when you're when you're trying so hard to do it by yourself and it's not working then you almost end up not believing in yourself to a point and you know i felt like i'd done all of the research and i was doing all of this learning about alcohol which you know it almost made me feel to a point that there was something different about me that or you know that i'd learned all of this stuff and i was listening to all of these different things and reading these books but i was thinking fuck maybe there's something different about me maybe i'm different i'm that one thing that's just a little bit you know wired a little bit differently and sometimes it kind of got me to the point where i gave up on change and you know i was just like oh you know maybe maybe this is it and i almost like in those toxic mindsets where you're you're almost like admitting defeat and you're like, well, fuck it. Like what's uh, I'll just go back into this toxic cycle. And then, you know, you, yeah. And that's it's so hard to be at that point where you don't believe in yourself. And I think that that, that's why it's so hard sometimes to ask for help because you don't believe in yourself. And I think that when you start believing in yourself and you, you give yourself the opportunity to help yourself, if that makes sense with the help of someone else, then you, yeah, I think that's the point when you'll really kind of look at changing. Yeah, nice. Yeah, because we we did a lot of work around self confidence, right, right early in the beginning of our coaching together. Because, we're, like, when you have confidence in the self, and that can show up in so many different ways, right, and how you talk to yourself, <laughs> which is very very important. But then going out and doing things and like having your own back, no matter what, right? Like that's such a key principle of having self-confidence like t- tell me about self-confidence for you and how that started and then how it's evolved for you since yeah well self-confidence at the start's obviously extremely low because your whole life my whole identity has been shaken up and i i remember in the very first session that we had coaching was all around identity and values and all of these different things and you know, I sat there and I talked about my values and what I thought I, you know, all of these different things. And like, none of them were aligning with how I was living my life. Do you know what I mean? It was all out of whack. And I think that was such a powerful thing that we did. And in the end, I, you, we were talking, I think I mentioned like um, my, I want to get back to being my authentic self. And then you said to me, you go, oh, well, who is the authentic you? And I sat there and I couldn't answer the question. I was, I was dumbfounded i couldn't actually sit there because everything that i thought i was i just wasn't being at that time i was so out of a line with who i knew i could be that you know if i had a sat sat there and said this is the authentic me then it would have been a lie with the way i was living my life do you know what i mean so that self-confidence was just not there because i wasn't aligned with who i wanted to be so i guess that process of becoming more self-confident in who you are especially with not drinking just comes down to kind of redefining who you want to be and i think that such a big point is about halfway through you know i was doing all of this work and stuff but i was still really holding on to 
all of this past stuff. Do you know what I mean? I was holding on to like all of this shame, guilt and judgment. And I remember about halfway through, I literally just drew a line through my journal and I highlighted it. And I remember just writing down like, this is the day, like I'm drawing a line through this and letting go of all of the shame and judgment and guilt. And Mm. I'm moving forward with who I am today. And I think that that was such a big point to kind of turn around and be like, I don't really like, cause there's, there's heaps of things that, and I'm not going to sit here and say that my whole drinking career, because it was a career was bad. Do you know what I mean? There were some really, really fun times. And I had some awesome times going to festivals and hanging out with friends and all of these different things, but being okay with turning around and not looking back with resentment. Do you know what I mean? I feel like at the start, I was like, I had to be angry about who I was but just drawing a line there and just letting go of all of those toxic emotions like shame, guilt, resentment, all of these things about who you are and then just setting yourself up and being right. Oh, who do I want to be from here forward? Like drawing a line and doing, it's almost like a big reset. And I think that so often, you know, young men really struggle to kind of do that big reset. I think that we hang on to these really kind of toxic and unhelpful behaviors because we're scared of doing that reset. We're scared of kind of moving into that next point of life. We're scared of all of that stigma of growing up and being boring and all of these things. And we're really holding on to this idea of like the freedom of youth when really like we just need to draw that line and be okay with moving on because there's like, there's no way around it. We get older, you know, we move on and we can't stay the same forever. So drawing that line and moving forward with self-confidence was such a big turning point for me for sure. Yeah, nice, man. I love that. It's, like, it's quite such a visual representation as well. It's kind of like that demarcation, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, leave that shit. I remember there. I wrote the date as well. I think it was like it was like June twenty fourth. This is the day that I'm. This is the day that I change. And you know, putting that heart in stone. And, and you know, if you do that, you can. If you even if you slip up, if you make a mistake, and you know you drink or you do something like that, you can kind of you can start to shift that. I guess the the tense that you're talking in. So you you don't have to be like um you can start talking about present tense and past tense. And you know, you can be like, oh well, I stuffed up, you know, maybe I had a drink or something like that. But that's okay. Like I'm gonna learn from it. And it's it's that's just who I was. And I'm trying to beat this conditioning that I've had for 10 years, and that's okay. So let's just, you know, let's be the person that I am today and not beat myself up for the person that I was and really move forward with that idea of like present tense versus past tense. If you know what I mean, separate those two things with that big line. Yeah. Yeah. I think language is obviously really important and just even like thinking about, I used to be a drinker. I don't drink anymore. I right? like talk about it. it. Like it's already happened and it's in the past. It's behind you and notice how it shows up because I think, you know, when we think, talking about like well i'm not drinking at the moment right well you're still wrapped up wrapped up in that identity of being someone who's a drinker but when you add like that past tense and stuff and how you want to think about yourself now it's so so important Mm. all right cool so what were some of the most memorable moments for you like i want to hear like what some of your sober wins were as you were sober wins sober first perhaps right as you were going through the coaching and even since you finished yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the most memorable moments are just those moments where things start to click. And mm. I think that 
you just kind of start to see things line up and you know at the, at first it's slow but you can really see all the hard work that you're putting in really kind of start to pay off um and you know i think that life in strange ways will give you little nudges and like give you points in the direction to let you know that you're moving in the right direction um so i mentioned barley before the year that you know i went back there and i slipped back into those really toxic habits so this was after i reckon we've been coaching together for probably three months and it was the first kind of big challenge um was going back to barley we booked a trip back to barley again and yeah it was one of the most memorable moments that i had because it was kind of where it all came undone the first time. Um, mm. So you and I in our coaching had done a whole bunch of work around playing the tape forward and being really, really honest and aware of like, obviously, and then living with my self-confidence and my decision with my uh, to rethink alcohol. So I guess, yeah, we're, we got to the airport at like 7am um, and when I got to the airport, you know, I'd always go to the airport bar. No matter what time it was, it was just like yeah, a right. tradition. I'd just get there, yeah. have a pint. So I guess, you know, the first thing I took note of was just there were, you know, two different narratives that were playing out in my mind. And I just really kind of consciously took note of how different things would play out in different spaces um, or different like, you know, narratives that go off. But, um, you know, if I was at that airport bar and I was drinking, like even at 7am, I would have just gone there for a couple of schooners and created you know, a whole bunch of unnecessary tension with my wife because we all know we're drinking at 7am lands. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, go past the bar and I can see a whole bunch of people in there and I just kind of notice at that point. So by the time the flight rolls around, like, you know, playing these two different narratives, I, you know, would have been coming down off that initial buzz. So I'd probably be feel, feeling like a little irritable, and I guess like scanning the flight menu for like a top up or something like that. So yeah. over the over the flight, I would have had like three or four, you know, overpriced shitty plain beers. Um, and you know, one thing I did notice, which is you know, really stood out to me, was the I guess the conditioning and the the language on the plane menu. So there was like this treat herself, which was wine and cheese, and then <laughs> like a, a treat himself, which was beer and nuts. Mm. and you know i was just thinking like in my case i just would have been treating myself to the absolute shit show that would have entailed when you've been drinking since 7 a.m <laughs> yeah is that okay yeah um, how's that a treat <laughs> yeah that's right um so i just noticed you know there are a lot of people ordering beers around me wine spirits on the first pass of the trolley at like 10 30 you know i wasn't judging anyone's decisions like good on them that's fine and i just have confidence and you know kept reading my book um and I knew the surf was going to be really, really good that day. So when we arrived um, at the airport and, you know, we're checking in, I was checking the surf on in Melbourne all morning, kind of looking at the forecast and, you know, all of those kind of things. And we needed kind of everything to line up. So for us to kind of get to Uluwatu, which is like kind of up the down the south of Bali, we were staying up in Changu, which is, you know, probably a two-hour drive with traffic in the opposite direction but we kind of needed everything to line up. We needed to get out of your airport quick enough, um, you know, through customs and things like that. Um, so anyway, we landed and everything just lined up perfectly. So a driver said he was happy to drive us in an hour in the wrong direction. Um, and we just flew through customs. Um, so if we were to go back to that other narrative and we're looking at how it kind of would have panned out, uh, there's absolutely no chance that, 
I would have even contemplated going surfing. I just would have been like, boom, straight in the airport, beers. I don't yeah. Know, just gotten pissed in a pool somewhere or something like that. <laughs> um, so on the way to Ulu's, the waves were really big. Like it was the biggest waves of the trip, biggest I've ever seen it. Well, surfed it anyway. And um, so I was stoked. We were there, ready to paddle out in like the best waves that I've seen at Ulu's. And um, after a pretty like sketchy paddle out, I finally made it out and was sitting a little bit wider, you know, kind of taking it all in, a little bit nervous because it was pretty big, you know. The waves were probably three times overhead, so, you know, pretty solid. Um, so within, you know, I was paddled out and I was kind of just sitting wider than a lot of the the pack out the back. So there were probably, you know, 15 guys out the back and I was kind of just sat up to take it all in. And this set kind of came through, like a wave of, you know, a set of waves came through and it, it really peaked uh, where all the guys were sitting and, three guys on huge boards were just like scratching into it and, you know, dropped down the face of it and they were all too deep. And this thing, just like this massive wave just stood up straight in front of me. And I was like, Whoa, here we go. <laughs> so like my heart was just in my mouth and I just scratched into this wave, like as hard as I could, <clears throat> you know, the sun was setting. It was literally like something out of like a postcard. Anyway, like I was barely able to see in front of me because all the wind blowing up the face and, you know, in the lip of the wave. So I like, could barely see anything i just got to my feet and just made this massive long drop down this wave and i just remember my board chattering under my feet and i just bottom turned around and just looked down the line of this wave it was the biggest wave i've ever caught in my life and like i was just rifling down the line with it um i felt so alive do you know what i mean i pulled off the end of that thing and i was like this is experienced life in the extremes like I can feel in my body like talking about it now, like I'm getting emotional because it was like, it was such a real experience, like feeling that pure joy and like excitement, you yeah. know, for the first time really completely, un- you know, um, uninhibited feeling of joy. Um, so like I literally can't believe my luck as I'm paddling back out and my body's just filled with this surreal sense of pure joy. Um, so as I was like reveling in all its glory, this little, this turtle pops up like right next to me, yeah. you know, probably like an arm's length away. And we just like made eye contact and then it just floated over and just rolled over. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding me. And like, here's an excerpt from my journal that day. Like, you know, we can only imagine how this day would have panned out under the treat yourself that I saw on that plane menu. And, you know, I treated myself and life treated me back. Like I'm so grateful to be alive and to be me. And I just thought, yeah, it was such an incredible experience when everything just lined up and it was just this real turning point in my journey that just kind of, you know, I was on the right path. And I think that up to that point, like I remember us talking about this, my, my goal was to have a year off and I knew at that point that I was never going to drink again. You know what I mean? It was just like, I just so happy without it. Yeah. I just can't see myself going back to that idea. I would, it would just be complete insanity to go back to the way I was after experiencing this whole situation. Yeah. Oh, mate. Thanks, man. Like it it gives me goosebumps. I wasn't even there, man. I was just like, (laughs) I was like smiling my head off as you were sharing that story. It's so fucking cool. I can only but imagine. Uh, and yeah, I appreciate the, the experience. 
yeah like the explaining of it as well because it really helped me to to be able to see it and then that turtle just showing up as well man like <laughs> what an yeah, amazing it was just, it was thing. just the, the cherry on top and we it literally just popped up and we made eye contact and then it just you know wow. went on its merry way it was just this crazy crazy experience yeah fuck man it's so cool and it's so interesting as well because you know like yourself a lot of guys come to me they they're still holding on they 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 want to have alcohol in their life in some way shape or form mm. which is why i just i'm such a massive advocate of like let's just take a break and go from there right and maybe you drink afterwards or not i don't that's up to you but it's as you noticed right like something really special for you happened like there was this moment where you were like like what what happened for you in that moment right like what in terms of your belief and your self-confidence like what changed well, it's literally like uh, like a way to describe it. I was, I was sitting on that fence. Do you know what I mean? I was sitting on the fence. I had one side over the drinking side and one over the other side. And I was just kind of sitting there taking it all in, like leaving kind of both sides open and looking at one side. And I think that at that time, I just swung my leg over and I was just on the other side of the fence. And yeah. I could just so clearly see how much alcohol took from me in the end. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with turning around and being like, this is not serving me. There's nothing weak about it. There's nothing. And I feel like there's so much stigma around you not being in control of something and being something being different about you, not being able to kind of do something else that everyone else does. But it's it's a chemical, it's a drug and it changes the way and it slowly kind of creeps up with you and it's it's just unsustainable. And and I think that the the interesting thing is like, I think I started off being really angry at alcohol, but alcohol is just, it's just a thing in a bottle, man. Like, and you can, yeah. it's choice. And it literally at that point, I think that I had the choice. I had the choice that I could drink again and I had the choice to not drink. And I think that that was the first time that I felt that I had a choice, mm. which was really powerful. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was so good because everything, it really snowballed after this. Like just, I had so much self-confidence from that experience that up until that point, I hadn't told anyone what I was doing. You know what I mean? It was all kind of like all in my own head. I was doing all of this by myself and, you know, I was in Bali and we were over there with a couple of good mates and, and I just sat there and I, you know, I think that that was a, another, it's funny because you mentioned on last week's podcast, but we went to like, it was my first kind of sober going to event, like this techno event. It was epic. So much fun. Danced my ass off all night. And I was like, well, that was epic. Um, There's something that I never thought that I'd ever do again. And I did it and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. The next morning I woke up and everyone was, you know, a few mates were really hung over. And they were just like, fuck, I wish I felt like you, you must be feeling, you must be nothing. <laughs> and it just just opened up this conversation. I sat down and said, yeah, like this is my journey. I just explained what I'd been doing. I explained that I'd been seeing a coach and it was the best decision that I've ever made. And like it all kind of stemmed out of that self-confidence to turn around and be like, well, you know, I'm just going to start telling people. And it was the perfect timing because after that, it was like, it was these, it was just the, the seven weeks from hell. If you were trying to be sober and you weren't self-confident, it was, I had uh, a bucks party and then the next weekend was a wedding 
And then it was another Bucks party. And then I had one weekend off and then it was a wedding. And then it was a 30th. Like it was just all in straight back from Bali. And it was just, it filled me with so much confidence. And I started telling mates, you know, I supported myself by, you know, I didn't have to go into all of the detail. And, you know, what I was saying to them was that I'm just trying something different. And I've been doing this every weekend of my life since I was 17. And I'm just trying something different. And it just filled me with confidence to be able to say that. I wasn't like, that felt like a choice. It was my choice just not to do it anymore. And I wasn't kind of sitting there being like, oh, you know, I can't because of this. I can't because of that. Making all the excuses. I was just like, I just don't want to do it anymore. Like, I'm just having a break. Like, and, and that's okay to say that. And, you know, if you're struggling to stop drinking or you're worried about what your mates are going to say, just say that. Say that, you you know, you've been doing it every weekend since you were 17 and you want to try something different and i can guarantee they're <laughs> going to turn around and be like all right fair enough and they have nothing to say to it and they're like a lot of the time it just opens up these amazing discussions around and that was a really interesting thing like i had these visions of like <laughs> like a, a big circle of like all my mates around me like you know it was almost like a q a panel and i'd sit there and answer questions about all of this stuff but it was really cool like a lot of them you know, said were really happy and said that, you know, they probably wanted to cut down on drinking more and said that it gave them confidence. It was just these really kind of awesome conversations that I had and that I kind of built these fears up around. So yeah, it all just really snowballed from that point and my self-confidence just grew from there. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I was chatting to someone about this the other day. Is you, you know, like when you have an intervention, is when you get people around to talk to the drinker about their drinking problem, <laughs> and it's almost like the opposite, isn't it? It's like you're thinking that the intervention is because you're sober that all the drinkers are going to sit you down and try and get you to start drinking again. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing. And like, and in your mind, you like envision it like a spotlight. So I, you know, you envision it like you're you've got this spotlight on you and that everyone else is kind of standing there and, and looking directly at you, but it's not like that. And one thing I've noticed is when you're, um, when you rock up to an event, like going sober doesn't mean that, and you know, stopping drinking doesn't mean that you're all of these other emotions kind of go away for the first 15 minutes. It's kind of hard to find your feet. Sometimes it's hard to build that confidence, but as soon as you lock into a conversation with someone, you have a laugh. It's like all of a sudden you're back to normal and you realize that you slowly start to realize that, you know, laughing with your mates, you still going to laugh with your mates. They're still funny. It's not. And, um, having deep conversations or even deeper because you remember them all and like having a laugh and venting about work is like real because you're, you're experiencing it. You're not kind of just numbing out and using alcohol as a tool to this. Like all of those experiences are still there without it. And I think that alcohol takes so much credit for these things. It takes the credit for fun. Yeah. It takes the credit for feeling good. It takes the credit for being able to talk to your mates and it's such bullshit. It's like, you can, it's all of the things are still there. If you take it away, like drink a non-alcoholic beer and I'm, all of these things are still the same. Yeah. Yeah. So fucking true. Cool. All right, man. Listen, time is blown by. So there's just a couple of questions I want to ask. Like what has surprised you most through our coaching journey? Um, the things that definitely the thing that surprised me most was how quickly what I thought were facts mm. and beliefs can change 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? They are like, you come in thinking that these things are facts, but with the right mindset, you can kind of open yourself up to change. And I think that, you know, sometimes I'd come into a session and I'd have all of these things that I'd think were facts. I'd, you know, these, these ways that I'd always been like, I can, I can't, I won't, I will all of these different things that I just thought were facts. I just thought they were kind of part of me, but I think that what we do is we'd sit there and we'd pull them apart to understand that most of the time they're just thoughts. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? They're thoughts and conditioning about something and this, I, and it's the, the name of, you know, like to rethink it, to reframe it. We're rethinking these thoughts and, and all of these kind of facts can be changed into something else. And, you know, sometimes I just come in and you can just, you, uh, this coaching can just help you see the facts and take the weight out of the situation. And, you know, I feel like it's why I was failing at the start so much by myself, trying to kind of tackle all of this really, you know, this change by myself is like, you need the help. You need the tools to kind of kickstart and become aware of how your mind works like you need to get those tools and it's really difficult to get those tools just by listening do you know what i mean it's that's something that coaching really gave me was those tools to be able to understand my mind more and yeah i guess now like i feel like i've left this coaching experience and this coaching course by having the confidence and the tools to start to understand my mind more and start to be able to like, if something's going on, I'll be able to kind of almost self-coach myself because that's the biggest tool that we have is self-coaching ourselves and being aware of our thoughts. And I think that at the start, I was completely emotionally illiterate. You know what I mean? I just didn't understand what was going up there. And now I have the ability to be able to kind of slowly dissect my thoughts and understand them through a whole bunch of different tools, whether it's, you know, journaling, mindfulness, even running, like all of these different things mm. are like such awesome things that I just didn't think that I could use to sift through uh, thoughts or feelings that I was having. Nice. Yeah. What's interesting is like some of those things you were already doing, right? But like now you do a bit like changing with the drinking. It's like you're just changing something in the same thing you're doing, but with running, for example, like the approach that you had towards it and for, I've said this many times running just fills me up with so many ideas because I think it's it's you know like our it's when our nervous system is nice and calm and we we've got space to think and it feels okay to think and like we're on our own more often than not right so yeah there's like so many different ways so there could be things that you're already doing that you can continue doing but in a different way and then there's other tools and things that you can learn from as well what is different for you since you stopped drinking man um what's different uh i don't know i don't even know where to start um i know it's a big question um nah all good i think that look if i can describe it in one word it's lighter i think that i'm mm. everything every decision i make uh used to be kind of tangled up with tension do you know what I mean? There, there used to be all of this kind of guilt and like a cloud of a hangover over the top. It was everything felt like it took more energy and like it kept coming up. And it was the one word that I kept using through our coaching when you'd, you'd ask, how does that feel? How does that feel? And it, it feels lighter. I feel like I can stand taller and I feel like all of my decisions are done with more clarity and that clarity is absolutely addictive. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. all of my decisions at work, 
I'm backing every decision I'm making because I know that I'm making them with clarity. Whereas before it was just all kind of clouded with this, you know, I couldn't trust my own decision because of this cloud of a hangover. And, you know, I just feel like I'm, and I'm, I'm experiencing the world in full color again. And I'm not saying that everything is absolutely perfect and I'm experiencing all the same uh, range of emotions that I was, but, it's just I'm able to deal with them so much better and everything, the world feels like it's in full color again, which mm. it's, yeah. And it, it's, you know, the concept of those rose-colored glasses that a lot of people talk about. But I think, you know, what those rose-colored glasses are is it's just the ability to kind of walk around with less weight on your shoulders and every step feels lighter. Every step feels a little bit easier. Mm. Nice, man. And is there anything that you want to offer any of the guys out there listening today who want to rethink alcohol yeah just be radically honest with your relationship with alcohol like just don't just try and look at it from an objective perspective and really see what it gives you and takes from you and you don't have to keep doing it like there is another way of living like it's not a given and for so long i thought it was a given and it, it doesn't have to be and i think as drinkers we live in denial a lot of the time about what our normal is and unfortunately like it just slowly eats away at your experience of life and you just ended up end up with this kind of dulls out dulled out version of your normal and yeah so if you're thinking about rethinking it just redefine your normal even if you know even if it's not everyone else's normal redefine your normal and just if you're really struggling to kind of commit fully just start to start to shift your default do you know what i mean start to shift that default away from just getting pissed every weekend really try and start to kind of put that normal in a different basket um and if you're sitting on the fence like uh, if you're, if you just will, if you're willing to invest so much time, energy and vitality into drinking, then I just, I, I just think that everyone should give themselves the time and space to actually see what they're investing in. So I can almost guarantee that if you give yourself the time and space to actually see what the other side of the fence is like, just like I did, I thought that I was going to take a year off and that's all I wanted. You know what I mean? I only wanted to take a year off, but as soon as you see and you feel the other side of that fence, like mm -hmm. you, I can, I can almost guarantee that you're going to start rethinking how alcohol fits in your life. And, you know, if you honestly think that your drinking has little to absolutely no impact, then all the power to you. Like, but I honestly, I know that most drinkers are not like that. I know that we can all see unhelpful patterns starting to show up and, yeah, you know, we're all going to feel better when we start to shift our default and your default doesn't have to be what you've always done. So, and you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the drinking curve, like, it's okay to want to change that. It doesn't matter if you're like, where, wherever you are on that drinking spectrum, it's okay to question your relationship with alcohol. And I wish I did it sooner because I knew, because you almost kind of give yourself reasons not to stop. And if you are struggling with it, just, just ask for help. Seriously, ask for help. It's the best thing that I've ever done. And I know that a lot of people out there listening to this don't want to ask for help because they're scared because of the stigma surrounding it. And you know, take that leap, you know, just, just go for it. Ask for help <laughs> if you're really struggling with it, because yeah, like we're all, we're all just expected to figure out by ourselves and we're just meant to know 
we're, we're not meant to be able to deal with this on our own. Do you know what I mean? Ask for help guys, because it's the best thing that I've ever done. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know, right? That's it. Yeah. And it's fucking hard to ask for help, man. Like it can be really hard for all of those reasons that you just mentioned, but you know, I, I, problem shared is a problem halved right like the, the moment you start talking about what's going on for you you like you feel lighter like you said definitely mm. yeah nice cool all right one final question and what does it mean to be radically human i didn't prepare you for this one but you should know by now if you've listened to the podcast <laughs> yeah i love this question it's great and i think it's funny because you you listen to a lot of the answers and i think that everyone has such a such a beautiful way of expressing what it means to be radically human because it's different for everyone but i guess for me it's just trying to experience life all the the whole range of life do you know what i mean for to experience the the toughest moments and the best moments to really feel that spectrum of emotions is to be radically human and not try and avoid any of them feel feel the pain feel the joy feel it all because you know we only get one of them and you don't want to get to the end of it and just kind of dull yourself out and realize that you haven't experienced it all. So yeah, just trying to experience just to be human and humans aren't perfect. So make oh, mistakes, no. learn, grow, love, do all the things, all the human things. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, Sam. Thanks so much, man. Like there's so much value that you've offered in there for all the guys listening. Like I've heard some beliefs that you had and that you changed and like the journey that you've been on and some of your insights and like concepts that you formed in your own mind about what you're doing. I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. So I appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. I just wanted to add one more thing at the end there. I just wanted to thank you for, you know, all the work that you do because I know like it doesn't go, I th I'm sure that you recognize the work that you do, but there's a whole bunch of blokes out there that are listening to these podcasts that are, making them feel like they're not alone in this journey. So what you, the work that you're doing is so powerful. So, you know, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks for changing my life. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, feel that. Thanks so much. Yeah. And yeah, guys, you're not alone. Like, you know, you've got me, you've got Sam talking about this. You've got everyone who's been on the podcast. Like we're, we're yeah. all the same. Like we're not that we, different, unfortunately. <laughs> we, could, we could not be further away from each other. And we're having, we've gone through the same issues. Everyone around the globe has gone through the same things. Exactly that, man. Exactly that. All right. Amazing. Well, Sam, thank you once again. And guys, thank you for listening. Take care, be kind to yourselves and I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Guys, if you're ready to go on a rethink journey, just like Sam has shared in this episode today, reach out to me, let's book a consultation. Let me show you how I can help you. It is possible for me, it's possible for Sam, and it's definitely possible for you. Take care, fellas. Bye-bye.